wrap up Ephesians, we're in chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. So that's our text for this morning, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 13. We'll begin reading from Ephesians 6, 10 through verse 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. May we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our loving Father, we thank you that you give us the truth. Father, we thank you that your word is authoritative in our lives, that when you tell us, we should believe it, that when you warn us, we should heed it, and that when you command us, we should obey it. Father, we thank you for the promises of the gospel. And Father, we thank you that you are the one who calls us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Father, we pray that we would not envy the world. Father, we pray that you would watch over us, that we, your people, would be putting on the whole armor that you've given us. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. Father, guard us by your truth, that we live and walk according to love. Father, we pray if any are here who do not know you, we pray that you might do a mighty work of conversion. Help us to submit ourselves to you, for you indeed know what is best for us. And we pray, Father, that our Lord Jesus would be exalted and that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Are you ready for the spiritual battle? I'm not asking you if you were once ready, how fit you once were. Here I have a story about that that will probably remain in your mind about how once being ready does not mean currently ready. We have a friend, a friend of mine from seminary. He went on and graduated. And uh, his wife was in her 30s. And they have this, had this eight-year-old daughter. They were watching uh, cheerleading. And the daughter says, hey, mom, weren't you once a cheerleader? She says, oh, yeah, I was great. And she says, hey, can you still do those things? I says, yeah, of course I can. Here, let me show you. So this 30-something-year-old woman who had given birth to two children, 
tries to do the flying splits. Okay, so she did the flying. She she did that okay, right? Maybe maybe the uh, flexibility wasn't quite there, but she landed, and she ripped her ACL. <clears throat> and it was the same. It was the same week that my friend was to be ordained to the gospel ministry. Here, <clears throat> what was going through her mind? She was saying, "Hey, I'm 37. I can do everything that I could do when I was 16 years old, and not having stretched." Uh, not having warm, not having to say, hey, I'm going to start training again and, and attempt this. It's easy to look at our friend and say, wow, that was a disaster. Uh, however many weeks of, of rehab she needed to, to repair that and surgery, all that. But we think about our own lives. Spiritual battle. Same thing. It doesn't matter how much you once trained, how disciplined you once were, how faithful you were once walking with the Lord. You do not have the privilege of choosing when Satan will attack and that you be ready for it. He will attack when you're least ready. And here the call is that you and I would be ready all the time. Anytime, all the time. Expect that when you're low on sleep, uh, when you're low on patience, you're low on blood sugar, uh, when you're lonely, Satan will attack you. That's what he does. You and I are in a spiritual battle. The stakes are high, and you must be ready. Here we think about this book of Ephesians. That God presents to us our glorious Savior in Jesus Christ, and he speaks about his beloved bride, which is the church. We're wrapping up here. We're getting close to the end. And here we, we think about how uh, it's not as if he completely changed the topic that he's now talking about this spiritual battle. Try to imagine what the Apostle Paul is doing. Uh, he probably wrote this letter while he was in jail. Uh, and somehow back then, uh, maybe they didn't want people to be lonely in jail, so they chained him to a Roman soldier. And you can imagine, as, as he's accompanying this man, and 24-7, he's wondering, wow, hey, you have some pretty cool armor. It's this shiny breastplates, and you know, look at your shoes. They're, they're very different than mine. And, hey, what about, uh, what about that sword you have, that gladius? I like that. And, and, and here he thinks about, hey, there's analogies. The spiritual life, we also must put on the armor. How much more dangerous, how much more dangerous the spiritual war is. So we can say that this this passage about putting on the spiritual armor, that this isn't suddenly he changed the subject. He's, he's getting to the climax as he's spoken to us throughout the book. So here, Ephesians 6, 10 to 13, realizing your own weakness, but trusting the Lord's strength enables you to stand firm in the spiritual battle. Realizing your own weakness, but trusting the Lord's strength enables you to stand firm in the spiritual battle. We'll look at this in three points. The first is your strength in the spiritual battle. <clears throat> Second, your insidious enemy in the spiritual battle. And third, your goal in the spiritual battle. Look at this first point, your strength in the spiritual battle. In verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Here, we have the book of Ephesians. We summarized it in this way. <clears throat> Chapters 1 through 3, what you are to believe about God and what he has done for you. 
And then Ephesians 4 through 6, what God commands you to do, how he commands you to live, being in Christ. And here we ought to understand that if you're believing what he has given you, and you're living according to his commandments, then you will be under spiritual attack. And expect that there will be a nice big red X painted on your front and on your back and on your forehead on, and on the back of your head, every, every part of you. You're going to be a target of Satan. There will be opposition. You must expect to face opposition. There's a sense in which this Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, about the whole or the full armor of God, it's the crescendo, a crescendo of the letter. And the, the pieces of armor then relate to the various sections of the letter. Hopefully I'll be able to bring that out when we address the armor. We think also about this strength, the power of God, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. <clears throat> Ephesians Chapter 1, verse 19, spoke about that. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. This is his great might. The equipping of the armor for you who are in Christ. See that, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. We see also the repeated patterns, the mentions about the enemy. That he didn't suddenly bring up Satan here in chapter 6 of Ephesians and say, by the way, you have this enemy. Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So he had said it earlier in Ephesians 2 that Satan is at work in the world. He's at work in in Non-Christians, he's, he's at work uh, in, in the leaders of this world and the various battles going on and the decisions that they make. He's leading them. And so also here in Ephesians 6.12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is a good reminder to you and to me that our battle is not against humans. If you start to think of that person as my enemy, then we've lost sight. No, here we have, there's something behind it. Who's at work? It's Satan and his minions. Here in verse 10, we have the call, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This is a command, it's an imperative but it's, it's not be strong as in you, you ought to be strong in yourself. Rather, it's as a passive, be made strong or be being strengthened because God is the one who strengthens. Here, the first part of being strong in the Lord is an acknowledgement that you and I have no spiritual strength in and of ourselves. We don't have strength. We can't do the first thing regarding the spiritual life. We cannot do the last thing or anything in between of our own strength. The first step in spiritual growth is realizing that you have no strength of yourself. Here we think about the story about um, 
about David. About David and how, do you remember when he was supposed to go into battle? Saul comes and says, hey, young man, you're brave enough to go into battle. Why don't you take my armor? So here, you think about, hey, if you're going to go into a dangerous situation, you can't suddenly have a new item that you've never trained with, that you've never worked with, that you've never worn. David tries the armor on, and he said, I have not tested these, meaning I'm going to be in the fight of my life with this giant who's been a skilled fighter from his youth. I'm not going to put on a new outfit. You think about it, what, what Saul was really saying was, hey, Saul was the symbol of all that was worldly, all, all that uh, resembled the worldly kings, being a head and shoulders taller than the rest. And, and David was clothed with the very armor of God. He wasn't going to lose. Here we think about how uh, we can establish all types of our own armor. We can trust in ourselves. You remember the story of Samson. Some people imagine Samson would have been this huge, burly man. I wouldn't think so. I think Samson would have looked like a completely normal, average height, average size guy. He would have been a total average Joe. But there was something about him that God empowered him to do these things. And after he was involved with Delilah and he finally told her the secret, she said for I don't know, I don't know how many times, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And then he makes this statement. I will go out and shake them off like I did all the previous times. Total trust in himself, not realizing that it was God who gave him that power. Here we think about how realizing your own weakness, my own weakness, isn't that the lesson that we must learn over and over and over again. Think about what the Apostle Paul wrote about. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We don't know what it was. God gave him some type of a thorn. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Have you come to realize the truth of this? If we're still trusting in ourselves, trusting in our own abilities, trusting in our own wisdom, trusting in our own righteousness, then it seems like we don't have the first thing regarding knowing and being united to Jesus Christ. Here, Christian maturity is not that we would then become independent of God here. You think about the, the, the principles about children. Right? Principles of independence is that they're independent when, they're, when, they're stop, when they stop uh, living off of your income, when they're self-sufficient, they, they can make decisions for themselves. And, and they, they leave the home. These are things about independence, physical maturity. We expect them to go. But the opposite of spiritual maturity, we're, we're always as dependent on God as we ever been. But it's only that we come to realize how dependent we are upon him. We're always entirely dependent on God. It's just the perception of that. 
And this maturity then is coming to know the dependence that we have upon our Lord Jesus. We come to depend upon him all the more, not less. So spiritual strength is manifested as you learn to depend upon yourself less and to learn to trust in Christ more and more. Here, I ask you the question, are you trusting in your own strength? Are you trusting your own wisdom? Are you trusting your own ways? If so, then there is danger on our hands. We must be trusting in God's power. So that's the first point, your strength in the spiritual battle. It's God's and not yours. We have the second point, your insidious enemy in the spiritual battle, verses 11 and 12. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we have the first statement there, put on the whole armor of God. This follows up on the thought of be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Well, how do we do that? Well, we do it by putting on the full armor of God. Armor? What are you talking about? Why do we need armor? Here, the implication is that you and I are in grave danger. We're in a spiritual war. You talk to people, various people, you meet randomly meet. Hey, uh, what are you up to? Hey, I'm just a guy who's trying to put food on the table and eventually make it to my retirement. And, and you think, oh, okay, well, that's, that's obviously his focus, right? Well, you can understand how if we're living according to the ways of this world, right, that might be our focus. Hey, trying to put food on the table, eventually make it to retirement. Hey, how can you argue with that? Yeah. Martin Lloyd-Jones mentions this. He says, a man who does not understand the nature of the problem he is confronting is a man who is already doomed to failure. Mm-hmm. Am I saying that you shouldn't be putting food on the table? No, I'm not saying that. Am I saying that you shouldn't be looking forward to retirement? No, I'm not saying that either. But if that's your own focus, that's the only focus, you don't see the spiritual battle going on around you, and you're in danger. Mm-hmm. Imagine the, the man who's in the thick of a physical battle that... There's rockets and bullets and bombs going off all around him. And he's thinking, man, I, I, I'm on a beach in Hawaii or something, right? And, and you would think that this man, he's going he's gonna to get blown up. He's going to get shot and killed. So also, if, if you're somewhere else thinking, hey, I, I'm in total peace, but there's a spiritual battle going on within you and around you, then you're in grave danger. In grave danger. Here... We think about this armor. Yeah, this is, this is what the world sees. Uh, but armor is heavy. It's heavy, it's costly, and it looks threatening. Why do I want to put on the spiritual armor? Hey, just think about this. Imagine, imagine you, go, you go to the Mall of America, or you go to this Rosedale Mall a little closer. Right? Imagine you, you see this guy who's dressed in camos, right? He's just in, entirely in camouflage walking through the mall. You're going to look at the guy and say, man, he, he doesn't, he doesn't look so cool. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's bad, right? He's, he looks militant. How much worse would it be if he had, you know, on all this plate armor, he looked like a ninja turtle, right, in his, in his gear? You're going to say, well, what is this guy doing? 
Well, this is what people are wondering about when you think about spiritual armor. Wait, why do I need to be so different from people? Huh? Everyone else is just in shorts and a t-shirt, right? We're, we're on the beach in Hawaii. What's your problem? Huh? You, what are you wearing that spiritual armor for? Here. We understand that when you take up the spiritual armor, it's going to be humbling. It's going to be humbling like the way you think about Noah. We're told that he was a preacher of righteousness. Imagine how many people came. He would have been a spectacle. Look, come look at this fool, this, this idiot who's building a boat in the middle of Kansas or something, right? How stupid. Hey, hey let's, kids, let's go watch that stupid man. He's building this boat because he, he thinks that somehow there's, there's going to be water here. And, and how, how many people mocked him? What do you realize that when the Lord says that there is spiritual danger, that you need to put on armor, it will be humbling. It will be humiliating. Do you think in the time that Noah was building this ark, do you think people hurt his feelings? Oh, I'm sure of it. There's no question about it. You put on the spiritual armor. You realize it's going to be arduous. It's going to be heavy. It's going to take your time. It's going to take your resource. And it's going to be ostracized. It's going to set you apart from other people. They're going to look at you like you're some kind of a weirdo. What's at stake, though? I'll tell you what's at stake. Your very soul is at stake. You think about what Satan wanted. Satan wanted... Not to be number two. He wanted to be number one. And he realizes that the very thing he wanted, you have in Jesus Christ. You have a place waiting for you. You have riches in heaven. The status you once had as a slave to sin, God freely offers you in the gospel. Hey, no longer be slaves of sin. Now you can be sons and daughters of the Almighty Whatever record you have, wipe clean. Receive it by faith. Believe upon Jesus. Accept the terms of peace. Everything that you, everything that Adam lost in the garden in the fall, you will have that and then some. How does it come? It comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ that you're called to receive by faith. And the world will hear that and they will say, too good to be true. I don't believe it. And you and I ought to say, it's in God's word. He never lies. He promises great things. Believe upon him. Believe upon Jesus that his death was in your place. He died the death that you and I deserve to die. Here, you think about what Satan wants. He wants to attack your soul. He wants to attack you and, and include doubt and fear and uh, opposition. You know, part of, part of being a competitor, whether it be in a high school basketball game or whether it be in professional sports, there is such a thing as mind games. And here, you have to be certain about who you are and what you're doing. Do you think... Do you think people, do you think the coach of the opposing team will say, you know what, you see that guy sitting on the bench? I'm going to have the two of you on the court. I want you to double team that guy who's sitting on the bench. He's not going to do that. 
He's going to look at the opposing team and say, who is that star player? Who is the person who's faster, more accurate, more capable than everyone else? He says, I'm going to have you guys double team that person. And by the way, go and trash talk him too. Get into his head. You think about what Satan does. Any type of warfare, any type of opposition that humans know, don't you think Satan would do this to like the nth degree? Of course he would. He doesn't trash talk the bench warmer. He trash talks the person who's on the court. He trash talks to the person who's dangerous to his kingdom. Here, in physical warfare, there is such a thing as a non-combatant. I hear about stories. Perhaps you're the son of someone important, then you get, you get a pass. Uh, perhaps you're very intelligent, you're still in college, you get a pass. Perhaps you have flat feet or really, really bad vision or you have sweaty palms, whatever it is. Certain people, they get out of, they get out of serving. Non-combatants. You realize in spiritual warfare, there's no such thing as a non-combatant. You're in the battle. The first question is, you're a soldier. Whose side are you fighting on? The Satan's side? Or are you safe fighting on Christ's side? And if you're fighting on Christ's side, the question is, are you a faithful soldier who, are suffering, who is suffering for Christ, or are you one who is uh, looking to get out of your duties? Who is complacent? Who's going to be dangerous to yourself and to others? Here, we think about how we cannot rest on any past accomplishments or any past abilities. You want to know the people who really hurt themselves? Well, besides the mention of my friend's wife who tore the ACL, you think about the people who, who get serious heart attacks is, is because they think, oh yeah, 20 years ago, I did this. And then they think at 40-something, I can still do this uh, without having trained for it. And so also in our spiritual lives, it doesn't matter what you once were. In fact, Satan will use that against you. Hey, you're an all-star, right? You're the best. You scored four touchdowns in one football game or whatever. He tries to get us to think so highly of ourselves as part of his attack. Here, if you think about this putting on this armor of God, it's actually a concept already heard. It's just stated in a different way. Ephesians 4.24, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What is the armor of God other than this righteousness and holiness, that this uh, shield of faith, Right, the breastplate of righteousness. Putting on the arm of God then is putting on the new self, dying to the old self. Putting on the whole armor of God is how you are made strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. We think about the goal. Why are we putting on this whole armor of God? It's here in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. This is a purpose clause. You put on the armor of the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The implication is here, the implication here is that if you do not put on the whole armor of God, you won't be able to stand against the devil's schemes. Do you agree with that conclusion that I made? If you don't put on the full armor of God, you won't be able to stand against him. 
You'll be overcome by the devil's schemes. So what are some of these devil's schemes? Here, the Apostle Paul refers to them. First, 2 Corinthians 2.11 So that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. The same concept he addresses, Ephesians 4.14 As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. You can count on it that if ever there is something going on spiritually good in your life and the lives of those around you, Satan will be at work to try to oppose it. There will be spiritual attack, especially when there's spiritual blessing and growth. How does he work? What are these schemes? Satan's schemes will always involve deception and lies. That's his native language. Our Lord Jesus told us that. This is why you fasten on the belt of truth, that he will attack you with lies. Satan knows that for the Christian, uh, the simple statement of the, uh, the lie of the exact opposite usually doesn't work so well. So, so then he has, to, he has to have some kind of a sugar coating on it, a, a, a veneer of truth or of nicety to it. Right? So it has to sound somewhat right. He will often, Satan will often prey upon your good intentions. Oh, so this guy has some uh, right intentions or desires. He, he preys upon that and he detours them. You're the world. Uh, Satan, they try to persuade you. Always trust your heart. I think there was even a song, Roxette. Listen to your heart. This was back in the 80s. Sorry about that. 1988. Listen to your heart. Always trust your heart. Oh, really? Well, God says the opposite. He says your heart is deceitful more than anything else. Are you going to trust your heart? No, don't do that. Trust his word instead. Amen. Satan will prey upon your doubts and your fears. And his desire is to come between you and your loyalty to Christ. He wants your heart to be detached from your head, so to say. Your emotions unlinked. It's like that caboose that, that falls behind. He wants your heart to be detached so that your loves and your affections and your emotions, your angers and your, your pride are just completely detached from the word of God. And this is completely dangerous. Satan is like that fowler. A fowler is someone who uh, hunts birds for a living. And the concept that comes up, 2 Timothy 2.26, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. That a fowler makes snares. He, he has to understand uh, birds and his prey. He understands the things that they see. And he understands the things that attract them, the type of uh, food that they like. So we're told here that he, he puts a snare for people and he's held captive. They ha he holds them captive and they do his will. I ask you, people of God, is your will captive to the obedience of Christ? 
here. It's a terrible thing to be caught in Satan's snare. To be feeding off the teachings, the doctrines of this world. Instead, we need to feed on the word of God. How important it is that we live off of bread. Or for, for some of you gluten-free people, whatever it is, feeding off of rice or quinoa. But the bottom line is, we must have a regular intake of food. And we're told that the word of God is more important even than our daily food. So that's the second point, your insidious enemy. We have the goal in the spiritual battle, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Why are you called to take up the whole armor of God? You're called to do this so that you may withstand or to resist the devil on the evil day. Here we look back at verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Here, you think about how difficult wrestling is. Have you ever wrestled before? Have you ever wrestled someone? I give, give Jacob credit. He, he, wrestled, he wrestled with that was it with that angel? He wrestled for overnight. Try to, try to wrestle with someone for three minutes. I remember a friend of mine back in junior high school. He was telling me, after three minutes of wrestling, he said he was so tired that the, the referee had to pick up his hand and the hand of the other guy to get them to shake hands because his arm was so limp. And, and then and you think about the various things, experiences we come up with. Having someone who weighs about what you weigh, or 50 pounds heavier, laying on top of you, and, and you know, kind of puts a damper on that diaphragm from working, right? And you, you just can't, it's hard to breathe. And, and you think about three minutes of that using all your energy. Rest, this, is, this is no coincidence that the Apostle Paul uses this term, wrestling, against the forces of darkness. Here, it's in order that you may withstand or resist the devil on the evil day. What is the opposite of resisting? It's to succumb to the temptations and lies of the devil. We have promises involved here. The promise of God in resisting the devil. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Meaning that he, he's an opportunist. That when he sees that... Uh, there's, there's no foothold for him. He's going to say, I'm going to look for a better day. I'm going to look for, for a weaker time. So when ought you to resist the devil? Well, the answer is all the time. Anytime and all the time. You and I don't have the luxury of, uh, of deciding when the attacks will come. Have you ever... Have you ever thought about how, how much energy and time is spent? We're not, we don't have the option of, of telling the devil to come back some other day. You, you think about, hey, uh, on any, any given Sunday or uh, any, any given time, you know, there's a time when people would knock on your door randomly, right? And, and you know, you would have to invite them in and you would have a chat. Well, it seems like our culture has changed, right? So, so you look at, hey, 
you have to be ready for any of that all the time. Meaning that uh, uh, the kids' clothes and, and the dirty diapers or whatever things are out in the living room, right? you can't have those things there. Right? You have to be ready for some random visitor who comes by who wants to talk about deep spiritual things. Right? This is like a neighbor who suddenly has some kind of crisis. And how much more energy would be spent not trying to accommodate someone who wants to talk to you, but accommodating Satan who's going to come to attack you. You've got to be ready all the time. You think about some of these nations. I was looking at some of them. How much time and resources and money is spent on having uh, men, and, and for some nations, women trained. You know that Israel, there is mandatory military service, not just for men, but for women too. But you can understand, they're, they're surrounded where they are. And we think about other nations. For example, Finland. Did you know that Finland had, there was a great war they fought against Russia. Russia thought, you know, hey, this little pipsqueak, we're going we're gonna to take him out. And uh, uh, Finland demonstrated that there was certain resolve there. The Russians were afraid of them. And uh, for Finland, even today, that a, a man is on reserve duty up to the age of 60. Realize that. Think about when you were 60 and, and to think, you know what? You still had to have the duty to train and be in shape and to be ready. So for you and for me, we must resist and withstand the devil at any and all times. What are some of the impediments to taking up the whole armor of God? Simple one is our own foolish pride. We want to trust in ourselves. We want to trust in our own righteousness. We want to trust our own instincts. Uh, we want to trust in our own sense of reality. Another is laziness. Taking up God's armor involves discipline and sacrifice. It involves counting the cost for you and for me. It involves selfishness. Well, what about me? What about my autonomy? What about my privileges? What about my comforts? What about my rights? On and on it goes. What about fear? Fear of the rejection of men in the world. Well, you know what? I'm going to tell you. The day you decided to follow Jesus Christ, you were already rejected by the world. You don't have their favor. You're not going to be popular because of that. So live with it. You count the cost. The cost is eternity. You must make the right choice to follow Jesus Christ. You're also says that we ought to stand firm. And having done all to stand firm. Now, perhaps some of you are wondering, wait a minute. We talk about a battle. We talk about victory. I mean, what's this standing firm? We, we should talk about advancing. We should talk about uh, victory. Oh, that's a good question. There's a reason why you and I are called to stand firm. The reason why is because the victory has already been won been won by our Lord Jesus. You think about what victors do. When victors win, they take leaders and they execute them. So when you look at with the eyes of flesh, Jesus nailed to a cross, the shameful death of crucifixion. The world says, you see, your master is defeated. Yet, by the eyes of faith, we see, no, our master is victorious on the cross. 
The scriptures tell us that. Colossians 2.15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. That's triumphing over them in the cross. You think about what triumph means, it's complete victory, it's a celebration of victory. Here you think about how it's not your victory that you must win and defeat the devil. You don't, you don't quite realize who you're involved with. Jesus, in his death on the cross, achieved the perfect victory. That he conquered Satan on the cross. There's one remaining enemy, and that is death. And Jesus has promised, promised us in his word that he will defeat that soon enough. So when we see Satan, he is a conquered foe. He is a lion looking for someone to devour. But for the Christian, he is a toothless, clawless lion. He is there to intimidate and there to try to create fear and doubt. So instead, you and I are called to stand firm. What are the alternatives to standing firm? The alternatives to standing firm are disastrous. The first, instead of standing firm, would be falling. And this is analogous to a scandalous sin, a great moral failure. If you think that such a thing cannot happen to you, then your fall is imminent. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. If ever you're thinking, that can never happen to me, this is a statement of pride. We must say, this fall could happen to anyone. It happens. You see it. You hear of it. Ministers. Ministers who are no longer walking with the Lord, who deny the faith. You ask, can that ever happen to you? What happens through these little gradations, these small choices that eventually lead to something big? It's those decisions that you and I make every day that are important. An alternative, an alternative to standing firm is apostasy, denying the faith, either by confession or by action. If you have people who are living a life of sin, and they say, no, no, I, I'm still faithful to Jesus, but by their actions, they deny him. How about the dangerous one of not standing firm, but fighting against the work of the church? Satan loves it when there's internal struggle because it takes the focus away from looking outside to only looking inside. You look at this statement that we are called to stand firm because Jesus is one who has accomplished for us a great victory. May you and I continue on in what he has called us to. Here, we think about the dangers in our current warfare. There's all kinds of things outside that cause us fear and doubt. It's easy to think, especially in our country, where everyone is so comfortable. There seems to be little to no interest in the gospel. Well, you have some doubts, you're uncomfortable, something we have something to take that you can take to fix that. It's time to slough off the couch, spiritual couch potato uh, 
persona. And you and I are called to put on the full armor of God. Your soul and the souls of those under your authority are at stake. If you slumber, it means not only your soul, but the souls of those for whom you're responsible are also at stake. Perhaps some of you are thinking, I'm too old. I'm past that 60, the, the reserve age. I can't fight anymore. That might be true for physical warfare, but it is never so for spiritual warfare. You are always a combatant. That you are always called to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, to put on the full armor, trusting in him. Every man, woman, and child is a soldier, and we must all be active combatants in the spiritual battle. We're called to watch out for one another. We're called to be diligent in prayer for one another. That we watch for the common schemes of the enemy. That we ought to be aware of them. And that we ought to trust in Jesus Christ, who has fully accomplished for us true victory. That he has, he's promised to all of you who are trusting in him, there is heaven waiting for you. That we must stand firm until that day. We go to our God together in prayer. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father.